Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Christmas and welcome back. But if you are joining us for the first time today watching ACF online, I want to say welcome. My name is Josh and I'm one of the pastors here and I am so excited because it is almost Christmas. In fact, Christmas is just days away. And I don't know about you, but I love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. During Christmas, I become Buddy the Elf. I become Ralphie. I become Clark W. Griswold. I love putting up Christmas trees. I love the lights, buying presents for my family and my friends. But even more than that, I love this Christmas season because people just seem to be more generous, more caring. There seems to be just more joy going around. And I know that's not true for everybody, but if it's ever true during a time of year. It's true during this time of year. And I know this season has been different for Christmas. I know we've never experienced a Christmas season during a pandemic, but even during all that's been going on, we still have so much to be grateful for and so much to celebrate. And so I hope you've been able to celebrate during this Christmas season. Another reason I'm so excited uh, that Christmas is almost here is because that means Christmas Eve is almost here. And this year is going to be, I feel like, an extra special Christmas Eve here at ACF Church because for the first time since July, we are having live services here at ACF Church, both on the 23rd and the 24th. And and when I say live, it's live. We got live worship, live music, live teaching. ACF Kids is going to be happening. They're going to be having a party down there. It is going to be awesome. And you do not want to miss that. We'll have four opportunities for you to come to Christmas Eve. And you can check those out at christmasineagleriver.com. They'll have all the information you need for our Christmas Eve services. But don't worry, if you are unable to come and be part of a big group of community due to COVID reasons, we are still streaming our services online and they will be awesome. You will not want to miss them. And so make sure you check out christmas at eagleriver.com to find out when we're going to be streaming those services. 
Well, we are wrapping up a series today called Adore. And over the last several weeks, we've been walking through this idea of what is worship? What does it mean to worship? Who are you worshiping? And this idea of adore that our adoration should be towards Jesus. And when we do that, it makes all the difference in the world for us. And and several weeks ago, Pastor Brian started out with this basic truth. We all worship something. And that is so true. All of us worship something. It it, it doesn't matter if you uh, believe in God. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe that there is no God. Every person, every human being worships something. it's, It's like it's in our DNA. We can't help it. We're designed to worship. And so the question we've been asking and what we've been talking about is what do you worship? What you worship really, truly matters. And Pastor Brian has talked about that the last couple of weeks. And then last week, uh, Mason did an awesome job preaching for the first time at ACF Church. And he talked about the importance of our bodies and our worships, our, our worship, our bodies and our souls. They're, they're tied together. And that they both need to interact with worship. That you can't really truly worship with just your soul or just your spirit. That it takes your body to do it as well. Again, it's, it's the way we were designed. And so it was my turn to, to teach this, this week. And I've been thinking about it and kind of going through my head about worship and what I wanted to talk about. So I want to start with this for you guys. I have a trivia question. You ready? I have a trivia question for you. If you're, if you're watching online, if you're on Facebook or you're on YouTube, hit us up in the chat if you know the answer. If you're watching in an outpost right now, shout out the answer. If you know it, shout it out. If you're wrong, they can all make fun of you. No, don't make fun of people if they're wrong. That's not nice. But shout out the answer if you know it. If you're by yourself in the car, shout it out if you know what the answer is. Trivia question for you. Ready? When is the first time we see the word worship in the Bible? When is the first time that we see the word worship in the Bible? I love studying scripture. It's, it's something that is beyond just um, like devotionals and stuff like that. And like, I, I, it's important to read, uh, to ha- let the word of God just um, work in you and through you. But uh, also almost as like a hobby, I love just to study the Bible itself because it's a fascinating piece of literature. It's amazing when you start getting into it and breaking it down and start understanding the way the Bible was written and, and how it was written and, and different things that appear and show up in scripture. And there's some different rules that you can follow when you study the Bible. And as you follow these rules, it will actually open it up even more and and explain things sometimes even in a better way. And there's this one law called the law of first mention. And what the law of first mention is, is quite simply just that. The first time a, a word or a concept is mentioned in scripture. And oftentimes with the law of first mention, the first time you see a, a particular word, um, usually what, whatever is surrounding that word, like the, 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 the reason that word was used, will give you a deeper understanding of the meaning of that word. And so I, I was thinking about this, so I, I looked up when is the first time the word worship gets used in the Bible, because I wanted to see what it was surrounded with. And the first time we see the word worship used is in Genesis chapter 22. Okay, who got it right? Anybody? Who got it right? Genesis 22. 
So this is the first time that we see the word worship used in the Bible. And I want to I dive into the story this morning. This is a story of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 2, if you're not familiar with the Bible, we've had a whole bunch of stuff happen already. We had creation. We had sin enter the world. We had the flood and Noah, and, and the world's kind of been repopulated again. And then all of a sudden, we, there's this kind of period in time where God is sort of silent, No one's really following God. And there's this guy, and his name is Abram, right? And Abram's just kind of living his life, doing his thing. Uh, What we know about him is he's living in the same town as like his whole family. And he's doing pretty well. He's married. He doesn't have any children. And Abram's just kind of living his life. And then all of a sudden, one day, God intervenes in his life. God breaks through and he speaks to him. And God comes to Abram and he basically says this. He says, Abram, I want you to leave your hometown. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you know. And I want you to get up and move. And I'll tell you where you're going along the way, right? I'm not going to tell you now. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know where to go. But I want you to gather your immediate family and gather your possessions, get your wife, get your stuff and get out of town. And I'll, I'll let you know where you're going. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled across the country before. I've been in Alaska for just about 10 years, and I remember moving up here, and it was a big ordeal. Like, I, I, you know, packing the U-Haul, took days to make sure everything was in there right, and then, like, just mapping out my course. I remember my dad going down and getting a AAA map. You remember AAA? Like, I know my dad's watching right now. I love you, dad. Merry Christmas. But my dad goes, and the day I'm leaving, he shows up with a AAA map, and he's got the route, like, highlighted all the way through the map, and all all these mile markers. He's got these little highlights of where the gas stations are and the distance between the gas stations. Like, I was prepared for this trip. I knew exactly where I was going. But for, for Abram, he had no idea. It's just, hey, Abram, pack up, time to go. The most amazing thing happens. Abram's heart gets filled with faith and he says, okay. He says, yes. Before this point, Abram wasn't a follower of God. He was just doing his thing and God shows up and intervenes and Abram says, okay, I'll do what you're asking me to do. See, Abram's, his faith in God showed up in reality through his obedience to God. His faith equaled obedience. And that's something that we got to learn. Oftentimes we talk about our faith in God, but yet we never seem to connect the dots to obedience to God. I hear people talk about, yeah, I feel like I'm losing my faith or my faith is really weak right now or I haven't been to church in nine months and I don't know, my faith is kind of, I don't even know if it's real anymore. And my question to those people is, well, have you been obeying God? Have you been doing the things that we know he's asked us to do in scripture? True faith will act itself out in obedience to God. And don't get me wrong, not perfectly. Abram did not perfectly obey God. That's that's never the goal. But the goal is that we in our hearts would grow our faith. And as we grow our faith, we become more obedient to God. And that's what we see here is Abram has faith and so he obeys God. He displays his faith through obedience. So Abram, he gathers his family or his wife and his his servants and his material things and they get up and they pack up and they leave. And as they do this, because he does this, God makes a promise to him. 
He says, Abram, I promise you. And he promises him a couple of things. He says, I promise you, I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to give you a place that will be yours for generations and generations. And, and, and it's a great, amazing land. I'm going to give this to you. And then he promises Abram something else. He says, you will have many descendants. Your descendants will become a nation. In fact, God says this to Abram. He says, your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky and more than the sands on the sea. And Abram's thinking, this is awesome. This is so great. This is what I've always wanted is to have a family because him and his wife had, had no children yet. Well, years and years and years pass and Abram basically ends up wandering for the majority of his life. He, he makes it up to where this promised land is, but then there's a famine. He has to leave and go to Egypt and he, he just kind of ends up wandering around and him and his wife have no children and they start to get discouraged and they start to get up in their years. And in fact, Abram becomes 100 years old and his wife becomes 99 years old and they still have no children. They still have seen no promises kept from God. But Abram remains faithful to God. And God shows up to him again and he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. Can you count them? And he says, you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And Abram has, again, he has faith and he puts his trust in God. And not much time later, all of a sudden his wife gets pregnant. 99 years old. 99, can you imagine? 99 years old and she gets pregnant with their first child together. And God keeps his promise. The first piece of the domino falls and they have a son and they name him Isaac. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been trying to have a kid for that long and just really giving up, thinking it wasn't going to happen, that you were too old, that God missed the window to bless you. And then all of a sudden you have a son. You can imagine they loved that child They loved that child. In fact, they named him Isaac because it meant laughter. That Isaac brought laughter to Sarah, his wife. And God changes Abram's name to Abraham. It's what he's known by. And they they have their child. And, And years continue on. Years continue on. And then one day, God shows up again. Isaac has been growing up. Abraham's been teaching him and raising him and him and Sarah have been raising him together. And Abraham's been teaching him the ways of God as as Abraham knows and he's been learning them. And then one day God shows up again. And this is what he says. He says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I can't, I can't, I cannot imagine God asking me to do that with any of my children. And yet Abram, or Abraham hears God say this, and what does he do? He says, yes, God. Again, his faith turns into obedience. And so what happens is Abraham, he, he collects some wood, and he gets some of his servants. He gets a couple of his servants, he says, and, he, and he grabs Isaac, and he says, okay, God has asked us to make a sacrifice. The place he wants us to go is about three days from here. We're going to load up, and we're going to go on a journey to make, a, make an offering to God. And so everyone loads up, and they go. And that's where I want to pick up the scripture right here. It's Genesis chapter 22. And this is what it says. It says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Can you imagine seeing 
the mountain that you're supposed to sacrifice your son on and it's just getting closer and closer and closer. And I just can imagine the inner turmoil he must have been going through. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey and, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So this is the first time we see the word worship in the Bible. And as we look at it, it, it's pretty amazing that this word worship, it's it's not tied around singing. They weren't going to go sing and worship to God. It's not tied around music. It's not even tied around prayer. It's not even tied around a, a church service. What this word is tied with is sacrifice. Abraham was going to go sacrifice Isaac. And what does he say? We are going to go worship. You see, sacrifice and worship go hand in hand. They go together. Abraham prepares himself to go and worship God. And and when we look at the word worship in this instance, when we look at, 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 the, at the Hebrew of the word, what the word literally means is to bow down or to bend down. It means to bend. So when, when Abraham says, we're going to go worship, what he's literally saying is we're going to go bend. And what does that mean? What that means, worship is bending down before God. It's bending your will. It's bending your emotions. It's bending your desires before God. That is what worship is. And that's what Abraham said he was going to go do. He was going to go and bend his will to God's will. He was going to bend his emotions. Even though he didn't want to do it, he was still going to do it. And he was bending his desires before an almighty God. That is what worship is in this instance and in this moment. And the first time we see the word worship, it has to do with sacrifice and bending your will to God's. And what comes of it? What happens in this story? Well, to finish it off really quick is that Abraham and Isaac go up and, and, and Isaac and Abraham, they build this altar before God and, and Abraham ties Isaac up and lays him on the altar. And, and just a side note here, I've heard so many people say, oh, this was like child abuse. This was like evil that Abraham would do this. Here's the deal. Most uh, scholars believe that Isaac was in his 30s when this happened. And if he's in his 30s, that means Abraham is 130. In other words, Abraham did not overpower Isaac to lay him on the altar. Isaac went along with this because he too understood what faith was and obedience to God. Isaac went along with this. It was not Abraham overpowering him. But Abraham ties Isaac up and he lays him on the altar and he's about to sacrifice him. And then God stops him and he intervenes. He says, Abraham, stop. He says, now I know that you will not withhold anything from me. And he ends up providing a ram in the bushes to offer as a sacrifice. And this is amazing. This is what happens after Abraham goes and he obeys and he he comes and he's willing to sacrifice. He's about to sacrifice. And then what happens out of that is this. We read in Genesis 22, starting in verse 15, it says this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn... 
declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So what are we looking at here? What, What happens from Abraham's sacrifice? What comes from Abraham's worship? What comes from it is a blessing. Because of his sacrifice, because of his worship, his bending down, Abraham was blessed. And in fact, there's even an additional blessing that was added to the original blessings that God said. See, now I know what you might be thinking. Wow, Josh, like it's Christmas time and you're out here talking about like a dad trying to kill his son with a sacrifice. Like, yeah, Merry Christmas, huh? I get it. I get it, but I had to go where the text was leading me because we got to understand that worship and sacrifice go hand in hand. But listen to this. This is so cool. I I made this connection. I wonder if you've made this connection yet. See, what God says to Abraham is he says, look, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have descendants that outnumber the sands of the sea and and the stars and the sky. And that had already been promised to Abraham because of his faith to get up and move. But God added something in that. He says, through your descendants, all the nations will be blessed. There was a blessing on the other side of sacrifice and worship. Do you see it? Do you get it? Because of Abraham's sacrifice and worship, he was blessed. Because of Abraham's sacrifice and worship, we are blessed today, this very moment. We are blessed because of Abraham's willingness to sacrifice and worship God. Isn't that incredible? This Christmas season, Christmas, that's what it's all about. Christmas is literally celebrating God fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham on that day. Isn't that incredible? That this is part of the Christmas story, that Thousands of years ago, a guy and his son climb a mountain and they obey God and they walk through the process of sacrifice and they worship God. And because of that, today we have Jesus, we have salvation, we have forgiveness, we have grace because of what they did. We are blessed and that is what the Christmas season is all about. It's it's amazing when you start to see God's faithfulness throughout scripture and and that he always keeps his promises. See, Abraham's faith drove his obedience. His obedience brought him to a place of sacrifice. His sacrifice became an act of worship and his worship became his blessing. I want you to see that again, that Abraham's faith, it drove him to obedience. His obedience brought him to a place of sacrifice. His sacrifice became an act of worship and his worship became his blessing. That is worship. Worship is obedience to sacrifice, to a bending of your will, to a blessing. 
That is, that is worship, and that is worship at its base root core. It's the first time we see it in Scripture, and that's what it's tied to. Last week, Mason uh, talked about Romans chapter 12. And I want, I want to jump back into that verse because it's such a great verse. And Mason did a fantastic job tying together worship with our bodies and, and the importance of that and even our minds. But I want to come at this verse from a little bit of a different angle. In case you don't know what Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is or you missed last week's message, this is what Romans 1, uh, or 12 1 says. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, when we look at this verse, we see, once again, Paul understands that there's a connection between sacrifice and worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul understands that it is a sacrifice to worship God. Or not a a sacrifice, but through sacrifice, we worship God. You see, but when Paul was talking to the people here, um, they've all experienced animal sacrifice in the culture and in the time that they lived. Every single one of them had experienced, uh, at least seen or participated in animal worship. But Paul flips the script on him. See, in, 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 in the Old Testament, pre, uh, in, the, in the Old Covenant, um, worship or, or sacrifice, animal sacrifice, was to, to, to remind us the severity of our sin. And it was re- to remind us that there was an ultimate sacrifice cu- coming. But when in, in, in Old Testament times, when you sacrificed an animal, it was dead. Like, it wasn't getting up. It was a one-time thing. You sacrificed it, it was done, and then if it was a sacrifice for atonement or a sacrifice for sin, you came back the next year and you did it again. But it was, it was a one-time thing. That animal was not getting up and walking off the altar. But Paul says something. He says it's a living sacrifice. And, and, and as, he's, as he's writing this, the people reading it, this would have been a little jarring for them. They wouldn't have quite necessarily got what he was talking about right away because the sacrifice was a one-time thing. It was, it was a killing. It was, it was death. But when Paul says it's a living sacrifice, what, what he's trying to explain to them is that it is an ongoing sacrifice. It continues. It does not stop. This is something that happens over and over and over again. And this idea of sacrifice, you see in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, this, this sacrifice was about taking a life. You took the life of an animal. But then Jesus shows up to the scene and, and Jesus goes and he offers himself as a sacrifice for all humanity. See, Jesus gives his life. And after Jesus, the, the whole principle and the understanding of sacrifice flips and it, it, it doesn't go from taking a life, but it goes from giving a life. He says, Jesus gave his life for us. We're to emulate Jesus. We're supposed to do what he did. And, and as he gave his life, we're to give our lives. And this is what Paul's talking about. But it doesn't necessarily mean to death for us. He, he's talking about a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that happens continuously, constantly. It's, it's renewing, it's happening, it's ongoing. And this is that living sacrifice I love uh, the way John Stott says this. This quote for him says this. It says, what, however, is this living sacrifice, this rational, spiritual worship? 
It is not to be offered in the temple courts or in the church building, but rather in the home life and in the marketplace. It it is the presentation of our bodies to God. In other words, this whole idea of living sacrifice means it's happening every day. It's not meant just to be saved for church. Like, okay, God, I'm going to offer my body. It's Sunday. I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice to you today. No, I love what Stott says. It happens outside the church, in the marketplace, in the business place, in the schools. That's where we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. See, a living sacrifice is lived out moment by moment throughout our everyday normal lives. Moment by moment throughout our everyday normal lives. But, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that is this. Like, this is what I do all the time, right? This is what I do all the time. Okay, okay. God has called me to sacrifice for him. Okay, what huge thing is God asking me to sacrifice? Is he, is he asking me to like sacrifice every dream I've ever, ha- ever had in my career and, and I'm gonna go and, or maybe God's like Abraham, he's, he's asking me to sacrifice one of my children. Man, he can pick any one of them right now. Just God, whatever one you want, you can have. I'll, I'll sacrifice a kid to you right now. I've been at home for them with nine months with no break. No, no, none of you are thinking that right now. I know, I know. But we think like this big deal, like it's this huge sacrifice that God's asking of us. And when we do that, we miss the everyday opportunities, the moments, the small things that God asks us. And really it's these moments where our obedience and our sacrifice intersect. Or really it's these moments where our obedience and our opportunity to sacrifice intersect. In other words, it might look something more like this. It's less about you sacrificing your whole career and more about you sacrificing your bad attitude towards your boss or your coworkers in that career, right? It might be less about you sacrificing your entire retirement and more about sacrificing the small daily financial decisions you make to honor God. It, it, it is less about sacrificing your child and more about sacrificing your time on social media for that child. And one more, it's less about sacrificing your, your freedom and going to jail for your faith and more about just sharing your faith with your neighbor. Right? Like we say, like, I'm willing to go to jail for my faith, but you won't even invite your neighbor to church or to an outpost, and you're not even really watching church anymore online because, you know, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's online. It doesn't really count. See, it's less about this great, grandiose sacrifice and more about these everyday moments where our faith and, our, and the, where the crossroads where our faith and the opportunity to sacrifice meet. And I will say this, at the crossroads of obedience and sacrifice is where you experience worship and blessing. At the crossroads of obedience and sacrifice is where you experience worship and blessing. Now, hear me out. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I do not mean, when I say blessing, I don't mean like, hey, okay, if I sacrifice a dollar, God's going to give me a hundred in its place. That's not the blessing I'm talking about that. That's not even a blessing. That's not real. I'm not talking about everything goes your way. I'm not talking about life just is perfect. You ace the test. You get the job. Everything just gets better magically on its own. That is not a blessing. And that's not what I'm talking about. 
But what I'm talking about is when God intersects and interacts with you. The blessing of peace in your life, the blessing of joy in your life, no matter what your circumstances are, even when you don't get the job, you still have peace and joy because you've experienced true worship with God. I love what it says in the message, Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1. I want to read the message just to help you get and get this picture painted of what it means for an everyday sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. It is your everyday life. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're going to work, you're going to school. Those are the times when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But here's what you also need to understand. It's not for nothing. In other words, I've heard this said before, like, oh, God's just some egotistical maniac who just wants our worship, demands our worship and sacrifice. Listen, God needs nothing from you. God is whole. He is complete. He does not need our worship. So if that's the case, what is the purpose of worship? What, what is it all about? Is it just sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice? Like God's going, hey, what do you really like? Yeah, that, I want it. Just, just give it to me because I want to make you miserable. I think that's often how we think about God. But it's not sacrifice just for the sake of sacrifice. It's not just worship for the sake of worship. That there's something so much more and so much deeper that involves us going on here. See, Paul actually doesn't write, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. What he says is, I appeal to you, therefore, or in other words, I appeal to you or listen to me because of everything I just talked about, offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is reasonable worship. So what's he talking about? See, in the book of Romans, Paul writes this amazing Uh, theologically deep, robust letter to these Christians in Rome who who really didn't probably experience Jesus. They didn't walk with him. They didn't see him. Uh, he's, He's died and rose again from the dead, and then they become Christians later. Like, they probably never really knew who Jesus was. And so Paul is explaining to them in these deep, deep ways what it means to to be a follower of Jesus. And he he starts all the way back in Genesis. He just talks about brokenness and the sinfulness of man and that we are wretched people. We're broken. We're evil by nature, by who we are because of sin. And he, he talks about like through one man, sin entered the world and through sin, death to everybody. 
He talks about the wages of sin is death. Like the payment for that sin that we all are a part of is death. And that's what we owe. We are in debt and the payment is death that we owe. And Paul continues to talk and he says, but just as through one man sin entered the world, also through one man righteousness entered the world, forgiveness entered the world, uh, uh, life entered the world through one man. And that one man he's talking about is Jesus, right? That promise of, uh, to Abraham that through one man blessing comes into the world and for everybody. And all you need to do All you need to do is receive that life from God, that blessing, that sacrifice from God. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it is purely a gift, is everlasting life. And you can't earn it. You definitely do not deserve it. And yet it is given to you fully and completely if you would just really worship and bend your will and your heart towards God. So Paul's been writing about this and he talks about mercy and grace and you can have all, if God wants to give it to you, you can have it all, this new life in him. And he says, because of all of that, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, offer your body as a living sacrifice. This is reasonable. This is your reasonable worship to him. See, to understand that it is all all the work of God and, and, and when I worship to him and when I sacrifice for him and, 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 and when I live for him, it is, it is in a response for what he has done for me. A.W. Tozer says this, and, and, and it's, it's old English, so you know it's true. I love this. God, if thou dost never answer another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live in the, in, in the ages to come for what thou hast done already. God, you don't have to answer another prayer for me. Another thing that I desire, you don't have to do for the rest of my life and I will still worship you today and for the age to come because of what you have already done. What has he done? He has kept his promises. God has completely kept his promises. He kept his promises to Abraham. He's always kept his promises throughout scripture and he's continuing. He continued to make promises into the New Testament. And he promises that there's a kingdom coming where there'll be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more tears. And that is coming because our God keeps his promises. See, Tozer says, like, even if you don't do anything else, I'm still going to worship you. But the good news is God is still at work. He's still at work in your life and in my life. And he still has promises that he's going to keep. And this is our response is worship. See, worship, sacrificial worship is so powerful. Sacrificial worship is so powerful because it it leads us to this place of understanding of of who God is and and that he is Lord over our lives. I've I've heard it said this way. I I like this, this saying right here. It says that worship may not change your situation, but it will change your perspective. And quite honestly, that's just one of the blessings of worship, that it changes your perspective, that when you're in a tough situation, when you're in a rough time, when things are not going your way, and you, you come to God, and you obey him, and you come to this intersection of, of a sacrifice, and you bend your will, and you bend your desires to God, one of the blessings that comes on the other side of that crossroads is, is a changed mind. 
It is a new perspective, a new way to think. Paul says this in Romans 12 too. He says, he says that it's a transformation of your mind. He says, don't become like the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Worship is involving your mind. And when we sacrifice and bend our will, it transforms our mind. And we have a new perspective on life and we have a new perspective on things. I love the way Judah Smith talks about this. This is what Judah Smith says. This is such a beautiful picture of this. He says, worship takes our thoughts off of ourselves and focuses them on God. He says, when we worship, the thoughts of heaven begin to fill your thoughts. The thoughts of heaven begin to fill your thoughts. And when you think about that, Man, that anxiety, that fear, that doubt, it starts to melt away because heaven is full of worship to God. It's full of these amazing thoughts. And when we worship God and when we do it sacrificially, all of a sudden heaven's thoughts become our thoughts and the things that we've been thinking about that it causes us, you know, that doubt and fear and anxiety, it melts away when we worship. And that is, again, one of the blessings that comes from worship. So this is really important. Brian asked this question a couple of weeks ago. I want to ask it again. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? It, it's really important. And, and look at me. Church people, I'm talking to you. Unchurched people, I'm talking to you. de people, I'm talking to you. At ACF, we say we're a church for the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. And I'm talking to all of you right now. What are you worshiping? This is so very, very important because what you worship will decide if your obedience, your sacrifice, your worship becomes a curse or a blessing. I'm going to say that again. What you worship will decide if your obedience your sacrifice and your worship becomes a curse or a blessing. What are you worshiping? Let's look at some of these things that we worship. We worship things like money, careers, status, security, family, retirement, comfort. Man, that's something we really worship here in our culture. Oftentimes, church people will find themselves worshiping the traditions or we worship theology. We don't necessarily worship the God who's behind the theology. We're more interested and we worship the theology. Maybe you're worshiping just an idea or historical figure. Do you worship a God built by hands or or a God built from human ideas through intellect? Uh, Do you worship a God who is weak? See, what you worship matters. When you worship money, let's just take money. When you worship money and you, you, you obey money, right? You go wherever the money leads. I'm going to keep, you know, getting new job after new job, chasing the money, right? I obey the money and then I sacrifice for money. Maybe I sacrifice my family. Maybe I sacrifice my integrity for money. But, but I, I will sacrifice for more money. And then I end up bending down for money. I bend my will towards money. I bend my desires to money. And I desire more and more money. At the end of that, you know what you have? You have a curse, not a blessing. That people who become obsessed with that, they're never satisfied. They're, they're just never enough. And it's an insatiable thirst for more. And it becomes a curse, not a blessing. But when you worship 
the God of Abraham, the God who keeps his promises, the God who is always enough. What you have on the other side of that is blessing. But do you know this God? Do you know who he is? Do you think you're worshiping just a weak God, a a God who's just kind of made up by man, but hey, I'll just go to church because it's kind of a a good thing to do and I'm going to raise my kids with good morals? No, do you understand who this God is? Uh, Psalm 24 says that the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, it's all God's. God is massive. He's huge. He owns all of this. It's all his. He's a huge God. Psalms, um, or Isaiah 66, one says that the earth is his footstool. Like not even his throne, it's his footstool. Our God is a powerful God. Hebrews 13 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who kept his promises for Abraham is the same God who, who, who's keeping his promises today. And he's the same God who's going to keep his promises tomorrow. And his kingdom is coming. It's here now. And it's still coming. God keeps his promises. He's the same. In Philippians 2, it says that God emptied himself He emptied himself and took on human form. Emmanuel, God is with us. That is what we celebrate this Christmas season is God is with us. We don't serve a God who does not understand us or relate to us. It literally says that he understands us because he took on human form and human flesh so he could know exactly what you've been through. He sacrificed to come down. That is the God we serve. This is what Christmas is all about. It is what Christmas is about, that he has come to earth. That is the God we serve. Do you know that God? In Isaiah 9, uh, starting in verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Can I get an amen? God, Jesus, he's the prince of peace. He wants to bring peace into your life. He's the wonderful counselor. He wants to walk through your situations with you. He is there with you. He relates to you. And this is the God that we offer our sacrifice and our worship to. This is the God that we serve. And if you don't know him, I want to invite you right now where you're at. This is the beautiful thing. This is what Christmas is all about is right now where you're at. You can say yes to that God in your heart right now. Say yes to Jesus. I don't care if you're driving your car. I don't care if you're sitting in an outpost right now. I don't care where you're at, at your computer at work. You can say yes to Jesus now. Just because you've been in church your whole life doesn't mean that you've known this God. And this season, this Christmas season, he wants to know you. I want to invite you to say yes to him right now. And I just want to say this. If you said yes to Jesus right now, tell somebody. If you're in an outpost, let them know as soon as we're done. 
If you're driving your car, please email us at the church. Let us know. Office at acfak.org. Let us know if you have said yes to Jesus. See, this is what worship is. It's sacrifice. Or, I'm sorry, it's, it's obedience, which will lead to sacrifice, which leads to bending down, which leads to blessing. And God wants to bless you this season. Today, let's worship him together in our everyday lives. Let's pray. Jesus We thank you, God, that you love us. God, we thank you that you came to this earth thousands of years ago and you came as a sacrifice for our sins. God, I I thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises to us, that you are a God who, who wants to bless us, God, no matter what our situation is that we're dealing with, God, that we can have peace in you. We can have joy in you. God, and that there's nothing we can do to earn it. God, and none of us deserve it. Yet you give it to us generously. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us to have faith in you. Help us to have faith that leads to obedience. God, let us be willing to sacrifice the small things in life, the things that really don't matter. God, that we would worship you. God, and walk into your blessings. God, if there's people who are saying yes to you right now, I pray that they would experience you in a real way, in a way that they have never experienced before. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen. If you're sitting in an outpost right now, I wanna invite you guys to a conversation. And maybe you're just watching online and, and, and maybe you could grab a friend later today and have this conversation. And here's the question I want you to ask is this, what simple act of sacrifice sacrifice, which could lead you to worship and blessing do you need to make today? What simple act of sacrifice do you need to make today? Thank you guys. Merry Christmas. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with Him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.